Hey, podcast fans, this is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. This week, life came at us fast again, and so we're bringing you another episode from The Vault. It's one from the Deep Cuts tier, where Amber and I look more closely at a topic adjacent to a recent main feed episode. In this case, we're jumping off of episode 140 on the plaster skulls of Jericho to talk more about portraiture in the ancient world. What makes a picture a portrait? How early do we see art representing specific individuals? How can you tell? When do three lines make a face? If you like this episode, you can check out all the monthly bonus material at patreon.com slash the dirt podcast. You can join for a monthly subscription at any of several tiers. And if you do an annual subscription, you get a nifty 15% discount. Speaking of Patreon, I also want to shout out our newest members. Thank you. Thank you to Sarah, Thomas, Joe, Justin, and Hannah. Your subscriptions support the show and the outreach we do, or will do, when we can go places again. And you look great today. Again, you can support The Dirt at patreon.com slash The Dirt Podcast at any tier, or leave us reviews and stars on whatever podcast platform you like best. Those reviews are a huge help for us. And if you just want to hang with us and listen, we love that too. And we love you. On with the show. And welcome to Deep Cuts, the monthly bonus episode where we take a closer look at a topic from the past few episodes. This time we're jumping off of our episode on the plastered skulls from Jericho to talk about some of the earliest examples of portraiture in the archaeological record. So this is going to be a short and sweet episode. I don't actually know that it's going to be sweet. I think it's going to be short. Um, but we've got a few case studies and some musings. So let's get right into it. First things first. How do we know when something's a portrait? Hmm? Hmm, Anna? Is that a rhetorical question? It is. Keep going. (laughs) Uh, It needs to be recognizable as an individual. So if a piece of art depicting a person has unique features, it could be a portrait. It could also be a depiction of someone in a cosmology that we have no way of accessing. So, like, is it representative of, like, an actual living person um, on whom it's based? Or is it just, like not <laughs> so this, musings indeed <laughs> so this is one of those things that everybody argues about without any satisfactory conclusion but that's that's okay um we're just here to bring you some examples yeah we have no answers we, we don't claim to have any answers at the end of the episode we will definitively don't make that promise. rule things given given what's at the end of this episode And I think how mad it's going to make you or maybe just delightedly. I don't maybe not mad. I think you might be just like delightedly irked. Cool. Yeah. Uh, That's how I feel about my parents a dog. (laughs) Yeah. The art version of that. Oh, it's art that yaps at you. No. (laughs) Well, our oldest example. Well, 
Maybe. Maybe. Our oldest example so far <laughs> uh, comes from the site of Dolny Vestanice. Vestanice. Yeah, Dolny Vestanice. In what is today the Czech Republic. <laughs> it's an open Check it out. <laughs> it's an open air site located along a stream. The people who lived there hunted mammoths and other herd animals. Can you uh, imagine, used, just for a moment, can you imagine a herd of mammoths? Like, one, one's enough. I mean, considering but, how I freaked out when I saw a bison. with You, it, know, you did see was, a, rather close. It was so big. Oh, Very big. no. So big. Um, mm. Well, they used mammoth bones and other bones. But the mammoth ones are absolutely massive uh, and much more impressive to construct a fence-like boundary separating the living space into a distinct inside and outside at the center of the enclosure was a large bonfire and huts were grouped together within the barrier of the bone fence Um, the site is unique in that it has been particularly abundant source of prehistoric artifacts especially art Putting the art back in artifacts um, dating from the Gra- Gravettian period. Mm-hmm. Gravettian? Gravettian. Gravettian. Just two teeth, so I didn't think it was Gravetian, um, which spanned roughly 27,000 to 20,000 BCE. Okay. In addition to the abundance of art, this site also includes carved representations of men, women, and animals, along with personal ornaments, human burials, and enigmatic engravings oh no how enigmatic not little lion man enigmatic that's not what we're doing um that's just a mumford and son song that's not he was he's not little he's not not little he's not human sized well in such engraving is our earliest example of something thought to be a portrait of an actual living person who is dead now yeah living then Living once. Um, Carved from a woolly mammoth tusk 26,000 years ago, this image of a woman is one of the earliest portraits ever created. It is just 4.8 centimeters high and was made using stone tools in the middle of the last ice age um, in what's now the Czech Republic. Um, And so it was found there at um, uh, Dolny Vestanice. The left side of the figure's face appears distorted. The skull of a human female skeleton discovered at the site, aged around 40 years old and ritualistically buried beneath a pair of mammoth bones, was also disfigured on the left side. This suggests that the ivory figure was an intentional depiction of this specific individual. The bones and the earth surrounding the body contain traces of red ochre, a flint spearhead that had been placed near the skull, and one hand held the body of a fox. This evidence suggests to some researchers that this was the burial site of a lady shaman. Mm-hmm. Um, a shawoman. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so a reconstructive study was done of the woman's skull, and um, I'm going to read the abstract of that publication to you now with the title. The Woman from Doni Vestinice, Three Burial, a new view using the face, a new view of the face using modern technology. So technologies. South Moravia, 
Czech Republic, has provided numerous Upper Paleolithic Gravettian sites um, dating from around uh, 33 to 22,000 years before present, with a great deal of human skeletal remains. One such site is the well-known burial of a gracile, uh, 36 to 45 year old female found in Doni Vestenice, Vestenice uh, 1 in 1949. Paleopathological examination of the female skull showed extensive pathological damage with significant asymmetry of the facial area as a result of a traumatic injury in childhood. The goal of this article is to summarize all information and make a virtual reconstruction of the original skull, including a facial reconstruction. The results of the new CT analysis confirm an irregular formation of the brain case. For the first time, we can compare the original state of the skull uh, with re the reconstruction. On the basis of the results of artistic facial reconstruction, we can present the quote, real, end quote, face of a woman who is 25,000 to 27,000 years old. This combination of CT and 3D data allowed us to create a new 3D virtual model. Though the facial reconstruction took into account the post-traumatic condition of the woman's face and the asymmetry of the bones is obvious, the degree of asymmetry is subjective. Um, yeah. And so, okay, so um, just so I understand... Was this, so this uh, pathological damage, is is that, mm -hmm. and they talked about like the brain case, had she suffered an injury of some kind or was this yeah. something that, okay, this wasn't like a, a congenital was, issue? No, this was a response kind of of the whole skull healing after a traumatic cranial injury okay. in childhood. Okay. So the, the result was that when she healed... Um, her, the left side of her face was kind of slumped slightly. Okay. Um, and it just had to do with how, you know, how she healed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and is there, so in what I read above, um, talking about, um, like the red ochre, the flint spearhead and mm -hmm. the body of the fox and uh, talking about sort of the ritual element is is this distinct from other burials? Are they tying this to her disability? Are they t like what is? I think a lot of the the publications. And I didn't I didn't go too deep into this. Was something I I knew something about beforehand, um, which is why I sort of wanted to do portraiture so I could include this example because I remember reading about it and being like, that's so cool. Um, but this does seem distinct from other burials at the site. There is other evidence of ochre and sort of other grave goods, but the full complex of goods buried with this woman seems to suggest some kind of tie to ritual activity. And yeah, the researchers hypothesized that it had something to do with um, her, well, her injury, but then also her, what's characterized as a deformity. Yeah, I didn't know if there was more evidence I didn't, I didn't know if they were sort of um, kind of transferring something. Like well, the fact, that, so the fact that she was car, like there was a portrait made of her, mm -hmm. presumably, if, if that is indeed the, the little, the little ivory carving is indeed of her, that suggests that she's someone important. And so given what, what researchers know about, the roles of women in the Upper Paleolithic at Dolny Vestanitsa, it's 
not much. They don't know much, but it seems that this would be a role that a woman could have. Would be as a powerful woman. It would be in a in a ritualistic shaman shamanic capacity. And I sort of wonder. This is totally speculative, but I sort of wonder if. As a child, if she had a traumatic cranial injury, which probably means she had some brain injury, if that resulted in something like a condition that would have occasional hallucinations or, you know, mm, yeah. things like like uh, the kinds of persistent migraine where you have auras and yeah. kind of you can have auditory or visual hallucinations. I sort of, you know, again, totally I'm making this up. Yeah. But, well, and sort of my initial response to that was thinking like the, um, like the act, like the, the fact that she survived something. Yeah. Like that that might make in her childhood that, in that of sort itself. of like, you know, you know, I'm thinking of like <laughs> heaven is for real type stuff of like, <laughs> of, of like, you know, like children or people that have like near death experiences yeah. uh-huh. that, that, that have sort of a spiritual they can experience like report back on that spiritual experience. Yeah. And just like the fact that they've survived, whatever makes mm-hmm. them seem in some way marked, um, and, and special yeah, or protected. This or, is yeah. something that would have killed someone else. So, um, mm-hmm. I mean, we're really just, we're doing like wonderful, um, post-processual archaeology right now. <laughs> Which I know, is, which uh, is which I think is is fun. I think it's fun when you are uh, when you can think through different ways and different possibilities for things that may not in any way reflect if you were to like hit the rewind button on the past and like sort of see it play out. Solve a lot um, of problems. <laughs> it, answer a well, lot of questions like, that people have. I, I'm just saying like it's the, there's no way to say who is right and who is wrong. Right. And so yeah. as long as you don't position yourself as being right um no you can just say which oh, is, isn't this interesting to which to consider well, like which is the pitfall of a lot of mm-hmm. of, of more theoretical work as you have um if you you have people saying that they are right um, and, that's <laughs> and not, moreover the statistics prove that we're so right that if you think you're we're wrong you're crazy oh i wasn't just even thinking i wasn't i wasn't even thinking about those guys i like completely forgot those guys existed after Sorry. spending those days reading about them um oh those guys have another study out isn't that the hypoxia article? No. Nope. No. No. Nope. no. Wrong guys. I got, I got the I got my guys confused. Guy. Yeah. Yep. Um, no, the Sweatman. Sweatman yes. at all. Uh, there's right. a new one. Guess what? Oh, it was it was a space. Comet. <laughs> Another comet. Um, but yeah, just I was actually thinking more in like the realm of like Ian Hodder types. Mm-hmm. Of of getting like kind of woo with your interpretations and then being like, guess I better write a book about it. Well, we're not going to go that far. I think we've got another one. Even if we tried, I don't Mm-mm. think we. <laughs> well, <laughs> moving on. We're bouncing around in time and place here. Uh, when I wrote this, there was no particular rhyme or reason to our selections. Um, but in searching for interesting case studies involving portraiture, I stumbled on this news story about a long lost portrait of maybe the one guy who has the most portraits. It's Jesus. Um, and I want you to click on the link I have there to the side, Amber, and um, scroll oh, down until you find anyway. the picture that is captioned as the the portrait that we're referring to uh, while I read this. <laughs> it's the Ekewomo from... From Spain? It's, no, it's, well, no, it's not that, but it's a different sort of that. 
Uh, this comes from artnet.com. A 1,500-year-old wall painting of Jesus Christ has been found in an abandoned Byzantine church in Israel's Negev Desert. The site has been known to archaeologists for almost 150 years, but new research has identified the faint image as a youthful messiah with short, curly hair, rather than traditional depictions of him with long hair and a beard. The find is in the ruins of the Byzantine farming village of Shifta, discovered, or maybe air quotes discovered, in 1871 by explorer Edward Henry Palmer. At its peak in the 5th to 6th century CE, Shifta, which was active for some 650 years, was home to three early Christian churches. The poorly preserved painting is located above the baptismal font and likely depicts Christ's baptism at the hands of John the Baptist, a popular scene in early Christian and Byzantine art. So, Amber... Will you describe this portrait to me? It looks like a uh, like a very like Gen Z tattoo. Yeah. Um, oh, it does. Uh, so maybe we, like a who's that? Like like a very stylized. Who's that guy? Modigliani. I have no idea. Who did like the? I'm just trying Are to art, art over this podcast. Yeah. I don't know anything about art. Okay. All right. Never mind. I don't do art. It's an outline. Yeah. It's just like, it's, yeah, it's some like simple line art. I definitely think that there's like a grad student out there getting this tattoo right now. Um, Probably. And so it's like, um, so you see kind of the outline of a nose. You see um, part of one eyebrow or sort of like brow ridge um, and one eye. And then on the other side of the nose, you see what looks to be like a single line from eyebrow to edge of nose. Um, And and what I think this is, I think this is someone who has like, this is based on the very, very faint traces of the artwork. I think this is an altered image where the lines have been put in. I think that because, might be the case because it, it's kind of like reddish. Because there's no way that there's yeah, because like there's no way that that line it. survived, and then the <laughs> yeah. rest of it like was so faded in Sharpie. Yeah, um, that's what it then, looks like. And so there's like um, like sort of big, like big, slightly almond eyes, the way that you see in um, like Byzantine art, basically. Yeah, like, with imagine. like the big eyes where they're all like, oh, like everybody's yeah. kind of leaning to the side, being like, oh, it sucks. <laughs> sucks in the Byzantine empire um and like maybe a little bit of a lip you've got um a soft jaw got a little bit of a little bit of a neck and then you've got um sort of fluffy hair to the ear yeah Mm -hmm. kind of fluffy like big hair um big hair don't care um bit of a jufro (laughs) okay It's Chris Webster again. If you haven't checked out our new parent website, culturomedia.com, then please do. Culturo is spelled K-U-L-T-U-R-O, and it's where we promote all of our live events. We've got one coming up in November. Check it out over at Culturo when it gets posted. If it's already happened and you're hearing this, then as a member, you can go to your member pages and see the event recording. Our live events are always free, but you have to show up during the event to see it. So that's culturomedia.com for all our live events and more. Culturomedia.com.
Chris Webster here, founder of the APN and host of several shows. I just wanted to let you know about our membership program and what it offers. Members of the APN get, for just $7.99 a month or cheaper if you pay for the year, ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to me on the breaks, membership in our Slack team so you can continue the conversation with hosts and other members, and exclusive access to any of our live event recordings. Live events are always free, but you only get to watch the recording if you're a member. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info and to become a member. Our podcasts are always free, but this is just a little something extra and it really helps us out. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. So later in the article, I did not I didn't me? excerpt. No, I'm not going to convince you. Uh <laughs> I'm going to, I didn't excerpt this, but to summarize, the idea of the figure is highly dependent on image context and iconography. So in the same way that in, in, in later Christian art, you see a person with what looks like a tan raincoat over his arm. You're like, oh, that's same. What's his name? Bartholomew, who was flayed alive. Yeah, the guy that got flayed. So like everybody has their attributes. So we'll have the link in the show notes if you want to see for yourself. I think... Probably you'd have to be a scholar of Byzantine Christian art to recognize it as Jesus, but it's definitely a person. Um, and so, I according mean, the, to the, the article, squiggles that somebody has put over yeah. that just represent a person. Yeah, someone so the, drew a the, the person. Wall, I don't know if it was somebody. Someone did in like in the, the Byzantine in the fifth century. In, in like yeah. Yeah, so the wall painting, according to the article, quote, belongs to the iconographic scheme of a short-haired Christ, which was especially widespread in Egypt and Syro-Palestine, but gone from later Byzantine art. Christ's depiction as a youth corresponds to the symbolic notion of baptism as a rebirth. So this is something that does appear in other Byzantine contexts in churches near or over the baptismal font. So like you do see... A, Interesting. A, picture of Jesus with short hair, sort of as a youth, and it's in the context of his baptism, like directly related to the baptismal font in the church. So it's okay. more than just thought, looking at faint traces on the wall and going like, yeah, that's Jesus. It's like seeing Jesus in toast. But it's looking at the context, looking at other examples of similar iconography and extrapolating that this faint image, if it is indeed of a person, probably Jesus. A, sen- a second painting in the same church in Shifta. Oh no, I skipped. Sorry, archaeologists had noted the presence of murals in the church back in the 1920s, but then no one did anything about it. A fact which isn't surprising, given that they were located high up on the church ceiling, badly damaged and covered in centuries of dirt. So they've been cleaned since then. And a second painting in the same church in Shifta shows Jesus's transfiguration. Uh, as in, like, he got older. But his face has been erased over the centuries. So, according to the article, the discovery of early Christian art at Shifta is especially significant as little Byzantine art from this period survives. In the 8th century, the use of religious imagery, imagery was banned during the first two periods of Byzantine iconoclasm. And so during that time, a lot of older images were destroyed. So, like, the so. one that got his face rubbed off. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't, I have no sense if that was deliberate uh, deface, defacement. Hey. Uh, or if that's just like the ravages of time. I mean, I'm okay. I'm not gonna, I'm not holding this against Artnet, but I'm still not convinced, even with context. I'm not asking con- you to be convinced. No, no, I'm just saying like the context like doesn't, doesn't make it any clearer. 
Like the like doesn't yeah. make the image no. itself any clearer. And also I thought that I'm not I'm not gonna argue with like Byzantine archaeology, but I thought that Jesus was uh he was baptized as an adult. You mean like would he no, have had a beard but, and like, long hair I mean, by we then? We like super don't have any information about most of Jesus's not be like most of the time he was a baby. Not, not Messiahing. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought that he was an adult when um, when he hooked up with John the Baptist. <sighs> which, like, I, so I don't know. If, I guess. So that's why I'm saying, like, I don't. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, this was this episode was trying to was me just kind of accumulating either things about portraits that I knew about and I wanted to tell our listeners and you about, but also things to that would kind of provoke yeah discussion and make well, us go eh, mm-hmm. yeah i mean people really There's like that. seeing jesus and things yeah right. i mean like name a a, a wheat-based product that hasn't had jesus's face in it like a, or a corn-based i be, i feel like there was a jesus in a dorito at one point i don't i don't know i'll look into this more later because right now it feels like <laughs> seeing jesus in a piece of toast with a book about like toasters that put jesus's face on toast like yep. next to it yep i've got this book here about this and like could it be <laughs> could this is be it <laughs> well it wouldn't be an episode about portraits without the fayum paintings which These i recently, are definitely portraits <laughs> which i recently introduced to my mom oh did she like them she loved them yeah she thought yeah them i really love them great. too um I made her watch the ones that had been animated by the oh, deep no. fake people. And she <laughs> no, was like, deep fake Fayum. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to read you a little bit from the Smithsonian Magazine. Quote, between 1887 and 1889, the British archaeologist W.M. Flinders Petrie um, turned his attention to the Fayum, a sprawling oasis region 150 miles south of Alexandria, excavating a vast cemetery from the 1st and 2nd century CE when Imperial Rome ruled Egypt. He found scores of exquisite portraits executed on wood panels by anonymous artists, each one associated with the mummified body. Petrie eventually uncovered 150, end quote. Call it the Fayum. The British love putting the in front of names. They got the Fayum, the Yemen, the Ukraine. Like, it's not what they're called. Should just call it the England. The England. I mean, it is technically the Sudan. In Egypt. Isn't that in Arabic? It's a Sudan. So there are some some names in Arabic that have like the the article attached to it. Like. Jordan, but nobody says the Jordan. Um, Unless you're talking about the river, I guess. Went down to the Jordan. Why people? It's probably probably why people don't say the Mm. Jordan. Mm -hmm. Huh. Well, these portraits are astonishingly realistic. Uh, For anyone um, used to the more stylized paintings and mosaics of other uh, classical or Roman era art. Um, so it's a style known as encaustic painting in which pigments are mixed with a hot liquid wax to form paints. Yeah. Paints um, is in quotes. Cause it's not, it's not like the traditional, it's like the traditional meaning of paint, but it is still a yeah. paint. 
Yeah. <laughs> you can you can still purchase supplies for encaustic painting. I remember seeing it in like the aisle of Blix when I would poke around yeah. in there. I never I never got into it. I think because the word caustic is in there. I was just like, You're like that that'll burn my hands off. <laughs> that, that sounds yeah. burny. Ouch. Yeah. Huh. What if they have it at Michael's? Uh, I think you I might know. have to be into capital A art to get as far as encaustic, but I'm not sure. Damn. Well, maybe, I mean, it is the only art store around here. But they're getting a Hobby Lobby. Can't wait to go stand in its parking lot and yell. Um. <laughs> going to be that guy at the table like Hobby Lobby supports ISIS changed oh my, my mind <laughs> Steven Crowder <laughs> that's oh <laughs> okay <laughs> I think he was at Berkeley it looked like Berkeley I think he was tabling there but yeah Steven Crowder he's not doing great mm, it's a shame <laughs> continue okay <laughs> The consistency of these paints can be then altered by adding resin or oil so that it doesn't immediately solidify when it cools. The portraits themselves are painted on wooden panels, which were affixed to the coffins of the dearly departed. So from the Metropolitan Museum of Art's website about an exhibit of some of the Fayum portraits, quote, the truly multicultural population, especially in the cities of Rome and Egypt, provided a fertile ground for phenomena such as the painted panel portraits on mummies. And phenomena artistic- makes it sound like they just appeared, like like the the panel, you were looking at the panel and then all of a sudden like it starts to fade in, the colors yeah. fade in and you're like, ah, it's Glenn. He wouldn't be named Glenn. Glenn. <laughs> In this, in their artistic style and technique, the portraits on wood panels followed the Greek painting tradition of depicting the subject in three-quarter view. With it, thank you, Anna, <laughs> with a single light source casting realistic shadows and highlights on the face. Indeed, since practically no panel paintings exist, exist mm, no. Um, Indeed, since practically no panel paintings from the Greek world have been preserved, the mummy portraits, conserved by Egypt's Egypt's arid climate, um, are the only examples of an art form that ancient literary sources place among the highest achievements of Greek culture. Besides style and technique, the clothing, hairstyles, and jewelry worn by the individuals represented in the panel portraits display fashions that were prevalent in the whole Roman Empire, most likely under strong influences from the imperial court at Rome, but also incorporating special Middle East, special Eastern Mediterranean idiosyncrasies, such as a profusion of curls in some of the female hairdos, possibly because they had early hair. Uh, None Mm -hmm. of these styles and fashions had any connection with traditional Egyptian customs. In short, taken by themselves, the encaustic panel portraits appear to have no links with pharaonic Egypt, end quote. Which is like a great point, which is like Yeah, this is moving to a new empire, like a new center of of everything. Well, and like, and if you're looking at also like who you know, like who's in control, like who has power um, mm-hmm. at this point, um, Egypt had been ruled either indirectly or directly by not Egypt for a long time. And so as power shifts and like, and also like relative power, like social power, economic mm-hmm. power, um, the, the people who, um, benefit significantly will be people who have a 
positive relationship with power. Um, yeah. And so it makes sense that they would be um, Romanized in some way. And also the nature of like, just like this art form, this is something mm-hmm. that, that may have been like culturally persistent. And while it could be like, Ooh, I love that. Um, I, I want that for me when I go. Um, but it's, yeah, it's something that I've always found very fascinating because it's, I mean, they're gorgeous and they are very realistic. Um, mm-hmm. Eyes slightly big where like yeah, slightly exaggerated, same, like, like yeah. they're just, they like really beautiful and they're like very attractive people. Just with and, beautiful cow eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah, that's what happens Bell when ups. I like Oops. don't have <laughs> when I don't have glasses on and also have makeup on. I feel cow eyed. Um, I come from a cow eyed. Perhaps I line. should have said. <laughs> perhaps I should have said doe eyed. That's the no cow eyed is more appropriate. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> um, well, I, I think my, you're outstanding my cousin in your field. Once, so, oh, thanks, my cousin. Um. um who I look very much like um, once described her, her then child sons um, like describe them as like, Oh yeah, they really look like Zambellis. They've got, uh, they, they've definitely got like the Zambelli traits. They got the red hair. They got the lazy eye. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Excuse? (laughs) Do we all have that? And then I, that I was at like grandma's apartment, which I think I've talked about before, um, is like Buca de Beppo's interior is mm-hmm. like of my, it's the decorating scheme. It's the decorating scheme of like an Italian American grandma. Cause yep. it's like kind of hoardy and also like kind of like, it's a lot. Uh, but there's like a lot of family photos. You, of, sorry. Did you say hoardy? Hoardy. Yeah. A little hoardy. I heard horny. No, not me. And I was just trying no, to hoard, trying to wrestle with that. Hoard. Yeah, I got there. Um, and yeah, you look at the photos and they are sort of that like w- like weird red tint. Who are you looking at? Like photos of oh no, of like from the 70s and I'm just like, "Oh my god, we do." Like yeah, we all got like <laughs> like we all got like the funny little teeth and the lazy eye and the red hair and I'm just like, "This is my legacy." So, you know, you didn't see you don't see those folks in in in, in the fireworks, maybe I should start. I'm gonna take that up and like do like wood panel portraits of my family, and everyone be like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oof." Yeah, well, I look forward um, to your new craft. But <laughs> thanks. Uh, I bet they only have it at Hobby Lobby. <laughs> They're actually genuine encaustics. They've <laughs> been melted down. <laughs> labeled in labeled through customs as wax. <laughs> yeah, imported paint samples. <laughs> like mm-hmm. these ceramic samples from before. Oh, what a mess. Okay, uh, so who painted these fine portraits? How? Don't worry. Some researchers <laughs> did some science about it. And this is from artsy.net. Who you know, when you the- say it like that, it makes our sources sound less credible it's called artsy.net <laughs> it's not my it's a report on a legit study no, that's Just, I, want, I want everybody to know that despite artsy's dumb name artsy 
So who painted the Fayum portraits? What pigments and substrates did the artists use? And where were these materials procured? Were the paintings made during the subject's life or after death? In 2003, the conservative Marie... No, she's a conservator, not conservative. I said... I I don't know her political stance. I said conservator Marie. That's... (laughs) Okay. I didn't... (laughs) In 2003, the conservator, Marie Svoboda, made it her mission to unravel these mysteries. She'd recently joined the ranks of the Getty Museum in Los Angeles, and while the institution's collection was rich and sprawling, a small group of 16 works caught her attention. The detailed, wide-eyed faces in these paintings, known as mummy portraits, date back to 100 to 250 CE. Each of them had originally been affixed to a mummy, shrouding the face of the dead. But there are approximately 1,000 extant mummy portraits scattered across the globe, and for accurate answers, Svoboda needed information beyond what Getty's 16 works could provide. So Svoboda conceived of an international, multi-institution research project to cull data from a wider corpus of portraits and begin to untangle these questions. She named it Up Here, or Ancient (laughs) Panel Paintings, colon, Examination, Analysis, and Research. How much you want to bet that the word came first? Since its official inception in 2013, 41 institutions have come on board to bring together information on around 285 paintings, almost a third of all known mummy portraits. Mm. The project kicked off at a key moment in conservation innovation, where the new technologies allowing for less invasive analysis analysis emerged. Ultraviolet illumination, infrared reflectography, radiography, and other imaging methods let conservators scan and characterize materials without having to extract samples from the delicate works. Um, Swoboda is quoted as saying, before you had to take very large sample, take a very large sample to identify the pigment or wood, and with these precious objects, you can't really do that. Most institutions won't allow it. So these developments have been enormous in advancing the understanding of the portraits, end quote. As museums continue to populate the appear database with new research, Svoboda and her collaborators have begun to draw conclusions. Several point to the formalization of artistic workshops during the first and third century CE when most mummy portraits were created. For instance, the skilled application of tempera and encaustic paint, sometimes both on a single panel, indicates a transference of technique from one artist to another in a studio setting. Some scholars yeah, so also. Like, I'm done with the background. Can you do the eyes? That kind of thing. Yeah. Some scholars also hypothesize that varying panel shapes and sizes, some have rounded corners while others are diagonal, some are thick, others thin, may denote the methods of a particular workshop or region. Tests exploring the material makeup of the portraits have been especially fruitful in appearing in helping identify the artist's processes. Caroline Cartwright, a wood anatomist involved in Appear, identified (laughs) that 75% of the panels she studied were painted on linden wood, which wasn't native to Egypt. Mummy painters, it seems, imported the material all the way from Northern Europe. A manufactured red pigment identified in the works was traced to Southern Spain, an additional nod to the Egyptian empire's far-flung trade. Although, arguably, the Roman Empire's. Yeah, it's not the Egyptian Empire. It's not theirs. Likewise, 
The pervasive use of indigo across the paintings potentially indicates that the deep blue pigment was mass produced. Some conservators even notice small fibers embedded in the dye, which suggests that it was recycled from Egypt's textile industry. This is Chris Webster with the APN. I'm also a project manager for several industries. I wouldn't be able to keep on track with really anything if it wasn't for motion. With motion, I just say what I need to do, how long I think it will take, what sort of priority I think it has, and motion builds my day for me. It'll even build in breaks because, let's be honest, it's hard to remember to stop to eat lunch sometimes. So head over to arcpodnet.com motion for a free trial and a discount if you sign up. You'll kick back a small amount to the APN if you do. That's arcpodnet.com motion. Hey, fans of APN Podcasts, we've got lots of designs over at our Tee Public store. Every purchase helps out the APN with a few cents back to us. Check out the high-quality t-shirts, stickers, phone cases, coffee mugs, and a lot more. There are lots of colors to choose from in most of those items, and Tee Public often runs 30% discounts. So check out the store at arcpodnet.com shop. That's arcpodnet.com shop, and click on the link. So there's a lot more to that article. Uh, and we have it in the show notes, but that is extremely cool. Yeah, I especially like the bit about the recycling. Like indigo, like blue in general, seems to generally be a pretty valuable dye. Um, and so the idea of kind of making use of the remnants from an industry that uses a lot of it yeah, is, is sort of a natural kind of synergy. um yeah but it also i think um uh yeah i think the other aspects there speak to the fact that like this is um this is something that's imperially informed Mm -hmm. uh both from like the wide trade networks from the the wood that's used which like the, the things that are coming from elsewhere in europe suggest that you know it it came along with it yeah like if you if you're already if you've already got shipping routes going to northern europe and there is an additional commodity tack it on mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it, well and then and also just like the the uh technology and just like the mm-hmm. just doing that with it and be like oh we 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 do these you do these and be like, you know, I want, I want a portrait like Grandmama had. Grandmama. Yeah. So it's, it was, it seems to have been uh, an industry, which yeah. is neat. Yeah. And I think also, um, I, I think that the, the idea that this is something that we have in like historical sources, that this is something mm-hmm. that happened and we only see extant, um, in like, um, extant objects of, of this type um, in in Egypt because of its climate um, I it makes me yeah think, chances are it was a it was a well it, it makes me elsewhere. think um, like on the topic of portraiture that perhaps uh, portraiture is something that is a bit more like ephemeral and that it's something that you may have on paper or papyrus or on textiles or, or things or like, you know, hide or a uh, bit of parchment. Yeah. 
Like it's, it isn't as though people did not have the capacity to make things look like people. We knew what people liked. Perhaps they were trying to make it not look like people. And Mm -hmm. like, if you look at sort of art that is meant to be consumed by the public, or it's meant to say something about power or the exercise thereof, or you're trying to talk about like gods or God adjacent people um, that like perhaps you don't want them to look like anyone because the 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 point is yeah. that they aren't just anyone and they right. aren't recognizable. And if you made so just, God look like your neighbor, you're going to make someone mad. Well, and probably. yeah, and so just thinking about like this isn't like that this this is something that may have existed um, like robustly. And and there are just like different definitely stylistic choices that are made for different category categories of of art. Mm-hmm. Well, finally, we have something. Is oh, it a portrait? No. Oh, god! Unclear. This is from the Guardian. It's written by Jonathan Jones, and I'm just going to pull some excerpts from it because uh, it's just it's uh, it's written in a style that that goes along with the the absurdity of what I hope this juxtaposition will be for, for you. Oh. So Amber, I'd like you to click the link and have a look at the face that this article is describing you know, while I describe it. This is the kind of thing that I do to you all the time, and I don't really like it when the shoe is on the other foot. Yeah. Okay, I have it open. The eye is a bold horizontal slash that connects to a downward diagonal, apparently signifying a nose. Below is a thinner line suggesting a mouth. These features are drawn in black on a face-shaped rocky mass in a cave near Angoulême in western France. Discovered in February uh, 2006, the image has only now been made public after scientific testing by French archaeologists that has apparently convinced them of its authenticity and age. They claim the drawings in it were done 27,000 years ago, which makes the Villonneur Grotto one of the oldest sites of rock art in the world. This face was made by human beings whose lives were more animal-like than we can imagine, hunting and being hunted in a world of woolly mammoths, saber-toothed tigers, and the other animals who, up to now, have seemed to be the main characters in cave art. And yet, the portrait shows they recognized the animal that was different, that could look back at you in a special way, and mirror you. Parentheses. Did they know the concept of a mirror? Presumably they noticed their reflections in water. Close parentheses. So familiar were these people with the emotional significance of the human face that they didn't need to fill in every detail as they did when they painted animals. It is, of course, ironic that an ancient image discovered in France so uncannily resembles the Parisian modernism of the 1920s. One visitor to the cave has said it reminded him of Modigliani. To me, it (laughs) remembers... It was you. That's why I was... Yeah, it was me. (laughs) That's why I brought up Modigliani before. To me, it resembles the way Picasso and Brock notated facial details in their synthetic cubist paintings. You might also think of Brancusi. You might, I suppose. Is this a bit fishy? Presumably not, because the bones and use of charcoal in the cave means its contents can be carbon dated. Why did the first artists draw like Picasso? Okay, first of all... My eye is twitching again. First of all, one might say, why did the Picasso draw like the first artists? It has to be because of their attitude to the face, to their own embodiment and that of the people they lived with. It has to be because of how they saw human beings specifically, because this is very different from the way they painted animals. 
Stone Age artists could paint with a verisimilitude that takes your breath away. And that is true. I love cave paintings. The old <laughs> the horse panel in the Chauvet Cave, older than this drawing, is covered with acutely observed heads of aurochs, extinct relatives of cattle, and horses whose tufty manes are painted with a clarity da Vinci would have admired. Why is the human face so much harder to decipher? So stylized. So I, I want your hot take on this face, Amber. I mean, is I it guess a it's a face. It's yeah, very, I mean, it's like three lines. Yeah, I mean, this is, I, I now I feel a little badly for going so hard on the Jesus face when, like, I've got this face. Um, yeah, sure, it's a face. But, like, I, this seems like something I'd be like, hey, hey, you think that rock looks like a face? I'd be like, mm. he's like, what if I, what if I, see, it looks like a face. Yeah, like, yeah right? Like, like, let me smudge like, some charcoal on it. Like, isn't that a nose? I, um, yeah. Okay, so my other... I look forward to posting this screenshot that you just took on our Instagram to show the kinds of reactions that we have. Um, I... So we we have animals that have been painted in the same cave. This is not the same cave. Oh, I'm sorry, yes, there... In this cave, there are also animals depicted. I thought you were talking about the Chauvet paragraph that I just read. No. There are animals depicted in this same and cave are with they, the face. Are they depicted in breathtaking verisimilitude? Um, they're more realistic than this. But like, this is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, this is that's dumb. This is dumb. This mm-hmm. is dumb because, like, you can't say like, "Oh, well, they did this," and like, no, maybe it was just like you know your kid being like, "Looks like a face." I right? made a face. Like, yeah. Good job, Tammy. Like, I don't. Good job, Paleo. But also, like this, like doing this, like doing something that's more abstract. Like, also, even comparing it to Picasso is is like kind of showing your whole ass because, like, Picasso was also capable of drawing things that looked like people. Like Picasso was trained. He was. He was also yes. He was also a very talented, realistic painter. But he chose to. It was do what he did. Yeah, so we have like, no way to access intent. So yeah, here, and which like, is the point I'm like, trying to get. Well, like uh-huh. intent and also like skill. That, that like is this like the yeah. peak of your skill? Is this like you doing sure. your best job? Like because even if we're going to compare it to Picasso, like Picasso, we know was like very talented at making things that looked like people, and also just didn't. wanted to she just didn't like i don't like yeah. that's the that's getting into the whole realm of like you can't like people aren't really prescriptive it's just sort of right and so that's just did it's kind it. of like, the, the what i wanted to get at with um yeah you know the the idea of portraiture kind of going back to how i opened the episode just saying like how do we tell can we tell mm-hmm so I'm going to close out with one of Jones's final paragraphs, not only because it brings us back to the Jericho skulls that got us to portraits in the first place, but also it's purple prose, the purplest of purple prose. Uh, and it makes an, a beautifully dumb point. The reason the cave painter could draw like Picasso is the same reason Picasso could, because everyone knows what a face looks like. 
The face is so much part of our consciousness that long before there was writing, it could be simplified to a striking stylized mark. This was, surely, as emotional as the act of the Jericho artisan who placed seashells in eye sockets, suggesting the changes wrought by death as mysteriously as Shakespeare. Those are shells that were his eyes. Something else you love, Amber? Quick, what's that play? I have no idea. It's The Tempest. Full fathom five, thy father lies. And it's, these are pearls that were his eyes. So he not only misquoted Shakespeare, but he used it to make a dumb point. Anyway, that's going to do it for this edition of Deep Cuts before Amber just explodes. I just, yeah, sorry. I responded so strongly to the Shakespeare thing. I just feel like you don't know me. Like there for a moment, I'm just like, have you met me? I don't know. No, I know. That's why I asked you about Shakespeare. (laughs) I know. It's to make you mad. Just to be like, I don't know. I don't care. (laughs) I know you don't care. Uh, But Uh, I also wanted to, I I also wanted to, to point out that he probably deliberately, but in a way that (laughs) doesn't look good for him, misquoted Shakespeare. He was making an Um, illusion. Yeah. An Mm -hmm. illusion. Well, he was on the jury for the 2009 Turner Prize, which is like a weird. Huh. Okay. I don't. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I looked up to see what that guy does, and he writes He writes about art. Yeah, he writes like he writes about art. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I have one more thing that's going to be on the show notes because uh, I uh-huh. thought it was so cool, but it doesn't really fit in here. But it's a, an article, a, a scholarly article about – um, medical diagnoses from Roman portraits, like diagnosing things like Bell's palsy and stuff, oh. which has specific, um, it, it changes the face in certain mm-hmm. ways. So things like that. Um, and the way that um, during certain periods of Roman sculpture, um, realism was desirable and and including a realism that the, ar- the article argues makes it possible sometimes to diagnose individuals with conditions um, based on their depictions. So like I, that leads us into a whole other kettle of worms. Nope. Fish. Whatever. Uh, a whole other vat of garum paste. Uh, yeah. A whole other, yep. A whole other amphora of mm, resin wine, okay. but not for this epi- episode. Uh. So, gross so that's going to do it for this edition of deep cuts and we hope this was an entertaining roundup of famous faces question mark for you so thank you as always for your continued support of the show we love having an outlet to just prank each other (laughs) (laughs) with articles thanks everybody goodbye Wale. Wale. Shit. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at archpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.